Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. So I, uh, I love hearing what people are passionate about. Um, I, I'm kind of passionate about finding out what people are passionate about. The, uh, the clicky, here it is. Um, so uh, I'm looking around the room. Um, most of you I know fairly well. So I see folks who I know are passionate about going to the gym and working out. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, that was such a lie. Um, but I know some of you who are. I know some of you who are passionate about animals, about training uh, dogs even. Uh, I know some of you who are passionate about the best football club in the universe, Aston Villa, amen. Um, I know some of you who are passionate about cooking, uh, some of you who are passionate about coffee. I was speaking with someone recently and they were, man, really telling me about this coffee I don't remember where it's at, but like I'm, I'm not making this up, and maybe you're familiar. There's like a monkey who eats the coffee bean and poos out the bean, and that's the bean they make the coffee from. And uh, and I just had instant coffee after that conversation. Um, <laughs> apparently, that's a real thing. I'm not making that up. Like there, there, there. You know, I, I love to hear what people are passionate. Come back from the poo coffee and villa, right? I love to hear what people are passionate about. And as we're on the road to Bethlehem, as we, as we started last Sunday, and as we're journeying to the manger, I want us to spend just a few moments uh, meeting some men who were passionate. They were passionate about finding Jesus. And so um, if, if you go ahead and get us started, Nate, that'd be great. And so uh, I want to invite you uh, to turn in your Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, and we're just going to spend a few moments just looking at a group of men who were passionate. I mean, they were driven. When, when we think of someone who is passionate, I mean, they're, they're, they're single-hearted, they're, they're, their heart is occupied, their mind is occupied, they're, they're driven about something, right? Uh, they love to talk about it, they love to think about it, they love to do it. And, and that's what we're going to see in, the, in, these, in these three men uh, maybe three, we're not sure, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, and, and about this passion they had for finding Jesus. And so uh, we're in Matthew chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1, and uh, what page is that for us, Dan? 966 in one of the blue Bibles, if, uh, if you have that. So I'm just going to read for us, true story really happened, and, uh, and we might be familiar with it. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that these things actually happened. And Lord, in these next few moments, we just pray that you would open our minds, that you would give us understanding of your word. And Lord, we would confess that even though it might be a familiar story, that without your Holy Spirit, we can't understand it. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we wouldn't simply be hearers of your word, but we would be doers, that we would be changed and transformed by your word. So speak to us now, we humbly pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want us to spend just a, just a few moments of, of looking at, at, at the example of what we traditionally call the wise men. And the example they set before you and I of of what it means to be passionate about finding and following the Lord Jesus. And what that means particularly for you and I as it relates to the Word of God as God reveals Himself to you and I today. Now, uh, as as we start that, let's just uh, go over a couple of things together. Uh, The wise men. Uh, We've probably all of us been to a primary school nativity play. Amen? So we're familiar with these guys. Um, But let's just take a few moments to remind ourselves of who they are. The actual word in the Bible there is magi, M-A-G-I. And who were these men? They they were a group of of philosopher, magician, uh, scientist, intellectuals. They kind of covered a big range of areas. Essentially, they were men who studied astronomy, astrology, and magic, all right? So they were astronomers in the sense that they actually did study the heavenly bodies and were very familiar with stars and planets and those things. Actually, we know now historically they were quite ahead of their, their time, quite advanced in that. They also studied what we would now think of as astrology, that they would then look at the stars and try to determine someone's future and what might happen them, to them tomorrow, and, and that bit's a bit rubbish, uh, and then they studied uh, magic. They, they would uh, kind of do the, the dark arts, the magical stuff, the dark side of, of stuff. And this is who they were. And so uh, they, they've been around. Uh, they had been around by this point for a really long time. Now, in other places in the Bible, we first hear of this group of people, not these men who went to see Jesus, but this group, the Magi, are first mentioned in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, which is really interesting because if you're on a Bible reading plan, you're probably in Daniel right now. And so it was fascinating for me, I'm in Daniel, to be preparing this and reading the Christmas story and then reading Daniel and seeing that the Magi are first mentioned in the book of Daniel chapter 2. So the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the word Magi. And so in Daniel chapter 2, you have Nebuchadnezzar, 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the Babylonian king. If you'll remember, he has a dream, and he's trying to figure out what his dream means. And who does he call to come and answer? He calls the Magi. Now, we see them again, this group of people, in Daniel chapter 5. We have Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He's now king, and, uh, and he also has a vision. It's a hand that's writing on the wall, right? It's where the phrase, the handwriting on the wall, comes from. And he doesn't understand it, and guess who he calls? The Magi, right? And then in, in the New Testament, uh, there's a specific one mentioned in Acts 13, Bar-Jesus, who's, uh, who's giving uh, the Apostle Paul a hard time, and Paul takes care of that. So uh, b- between, between Daniel chapter 5 and the Christmas story that we're about to look at, there's about 600 years. About 600 years. So they'd been around, that group of men had been around for a very long time. So about 600 years, all right? Uh, They were probably familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, meaning the Old Testament. And again, we learn this in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you have uh, the Babylonian captivity. If you remember, uh, the Jews uh, were conquered and then they were taken to Babylon Babylon is modern-day Iraq, Iran, kind of that part of the world. And Daniel was one of those young men, and they would have taken with them the Hebrew Scriptures. And so most historians and theologians would agree that uh, they would have been, therefore, the, the rulers, the Babylonians, would have been exposed to the Hebrew Scriptures. We know this particularly under the ministry of Daniel because the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar basically puts Daniel in charge of the Magi. He's in charge of these guys, and and he's, of course, only praying to to the real God and all these things, and so they would have had some exposure to the Old Testament, all right? Uh, We know they were men of influence and wealth. Uh, We're not exactly sure where they came from. The Bible says they came from the east. Most scholars would say probably Babylon, Iran, or Iraq, and to put that in perspective, that would have been a return journey of almost 1,800 miles, okay? Now, that's going to be important in a minute because when we talk about being passionate, riding, probably a horse, sorry. I know we usually think camel. It probably would have been a horse. To ride a horse 1,800 miles to find a baby, that's passion, I've only ridden a horse for about 20 minutes in Wales, and it killed me. Uh, Our daughter wanted to do it. It was like her dream holiday. And so we were riding horses in Snowdonia, and, and our son Max was probably about 16 at the time, and he was in the very back on a horse, and it was so funny because the lady who was leading, she would say, is everybody ready to trot? Which means the horses are going to start going fast. And in the very back, I would hear my son go, no. And then you would hear my son go, ow, 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 right? To do that for 1,800 miles, you are passionate. Amen? These men are passionate. And so uh, let's take a few moments and let's just learn uh, what we can learn from the example of the wise men. And we'll just go through the text together. Number one, we see this. That for followers of Jesus, the wise men are an example of spiritual diligence. Uh, For followers of Jesus, the wise men are an example of spiritual diligence. Look here at verses 1 and 2. 
It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Man, they are diligent. I mean, they have traveled at that point around 900 miles. They have traveled at great expense. This would have taken months and months to do. And they've arrived now in Bethlehem. And it's interesting. If you see here in verses 1 and 2, it says, When, the, when they came from the east to Jerusalem, they asked. The word there, asked in Greek, is, is really interesting. It means a continual seeking a continual searching, almost like they just started going door to door asking, did anyone know where the baby was? Just just turned up after 900 miles, months of travel, and started knocking on doors asking, where is this baby who will be king of the Jews? Right? And, And so they are diligent. They are set to find Jesus, spiritual diligence. Now, here's what we'll do with each of these. We'll, we'll see it in the story, and then we'll see a cross-reference of Scripture that will help us with that. And so uh, this, is what, uh, this is what Chronicles says, 1 Chronicles 16, 11. says, Seek the Lord and His strength and seek His presence. How often, church? Continually. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. It's a command that God gave His people. It says, I mean, seek. In fact, Jesus will say, seek and you will find, right? Knock and the door will be open to you, Jesus says. Uh, Jesus carries on this same thing, this idea of seeking. Je- Jesus says, you know, if, if, if you find a treasure, you go and you, you buy the land where you found the treasure. You, he talks about the pearl of great price. It's all these parables that Jesus will tell about understanding the value of the kingdom of Jesus and seeking after it at all costs. He says, seek the Lord and his strength and his presence, how often? Continually. Continually. Uh, I I was reading this week, I was looking to see how much time in the UK does an average adult spend on their mobile phone? Now, I looked, uh, the BBC had a study, um, Ofcom had a study, Statistica had a study, there were about six of them. Uh, The smallest amount of time they found was 2.4 hours per day. The most was 4.8 hours per day. So I decided to split the difference for us. In the UK, the average adult spends 3.6 hours per day on their phone. 3.6 hours per day on their phone. That does not include computers, and it does not include television. That's just the phone, almost four hours a day. Now, chances are you and I don't sit down for four straight hours and say, this is my phone time. But think about that. That means from breakfast, from the time you rise to the time you fall asleep, over the course of your day, four hours in the UK on average, we'll spend looking at our phone. Uh, For children in the UK, ages 6 to 16, the average is four and a half hours per day. If you factor in ages 6 to 16, uh, computer, television, and video game consoles, it goes to nine hours a day. Now think about that. In the UK right now, ages 6 to 16, potentially a child is spending nine hours a day. 
in front of some type of screen. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying that to create any kind of guilt. That's not my point. We're thankful for technology. But, but I'll just be the first to admit, and I'm going to be the first to put my hands up. I do not spend 3.6 hours a day praying. And I'm ashamed of that. Like, I'm going to be the first to put my hand up. I do not spend, I'm going to go on the low end. I don't spend 2.4 hours a day in God's Word. I, I don't spend that time seeking Him in His presence continually. Again, that, that, that's, please hear me. I'm, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty, but I'm just saying this. For me, I'll often say, I just don't have time. I, I, I just don't have time. But maybe I've spent four hours that day updating things, seeing how many people like my tweet. All four of them, right? Are you with me? So I just know for me, I'm looking at the wise men I'm thinking these guys spent months and months of their life. They spent loads of money, and they they traveled 900 miles because they just wanted to see Jesus. And I'm just thinking, you know what, Lord? Would you, like, created me that hunger and that thirst to know your presence continually because you are better than life. You are better than anything this world has to offer. And the, the, the feeling that I have being in the presence of the Lord is better than any tweet like I could ever experience. Are you with me? Knowing more about Jesus is more important than knowing more about the Facebook people I follow. I'm only speaking for me, not for you. But for me, man, do I, do I seek the Lord continually? And I was just broken to the point of like, Lord, I, I don't know if I can preach this because, Lord, I feel like a hypocrite because that's not me. But it's who I want to be. By God's grace. And, and so the wise men give us an example of, of what it means to have spiritual diligence. Uh, by the way, in Christ there is no condemnation. Amen? Everybody needs to say amen to that. Amen. Look at the person beside you and say, you and your phone are not condemned. Go ahead and look at it. Unless you're using your phone to do bad stuff, then I want you to say you and your phone are definitely condemned. Okay? All right? So there's no condemnation. That, that's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is this. We're funny people. Amen? Oh, say amen. Y'all are funny people. I'm going to give you an example. This morning, I always like to stand outside and do what I call second welcome. You know, when people come up. It was amazing as we got close to time to start, how many people looked in and went, there's nowhere to sit. But there were 30 empty chairs on the front row. Y'all with me? Right? There was somewhere to sit. It just wasn't where I wanted to sit. Are you with me? Right? And, and, and so, do you know what? Like, Lord, thank you for all these things, but I probably need to quit saying I don't have time. Because I do. I just got to prioritize it. Okay, enough about that. Number two, we see this. Uh, for followers of Jesus, the wise men are not only an example of spiritual diligence, but they're an example of active faith. The wise men are an example of spiritual diligence, but also of active faith. This is in verses 9 and 10. He says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
Uh, Here's the idea. We see it in 1 and 2 and 9 and 10. It's this idea that they are led by this star. Now, of course, we know they're, they're, they're being led by the Lord. They're being led by God. But God is using a star to lead them. He's using some type of, of celestial event that's happening uh, to lead them to find Jesus, right? And, and so it's this active faith. In other words, they didn't just stay in Babylon and read about it. They didn't just stay in Babylon and become experts about it and, and go on a, a, a speaking tour in Babylon and telling people about it. No, 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 no. Once they realized what was happening, they acted on what they learned. They acted on what they learned. It was active faith. Does, does that make sense? And so it, it wasn't just enough to learn, hey, there's this star. And you know what, guys? If we follow it, it'll take us to, to the king. But then they, they actually put that belief in action. And so we see in them spiritual diligence, but we also see active faith. James uh, says it this way. James says, uh, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Right? Active faith. It's, 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 it's not enough for me just to see my neighbor who, who can't pay their heat. It's not enough for me just to pray for them. But by God's grace, I, I want to actively then act upon uh, what I know to, to make a difference. And so James here hits us pretty hard. He says, uh, if we say to them, uh, peace and be warm and well fed, but we don't do anything to give them peace, we do nothing to make them warm and we do nothing to fill their bellies. He says, what good is it? Faith without works is dead, right? And these wise men didn't simply stay at home and talk about how pretty the star was, but they spent the money And they took the time and they made the sacrifice to go and find the baby Jesus. Amen. And imagine, I was thinking as I was reading this, I was just thinking about what did they tell their families? Like, hey, honey, I've taken all of our money out of the checking account. And uh, me and my mates are going and we're going to follow this star. And we just believe it's going to take us to this baby And we don't know what his name is, but we believe one day he'll be king of the universe. So if you need me, we don't have mobile phones in this time. So I'll be out of touch, but I'm hoping to see you in 6 to 12 months. Sounds crazy. But oftentimes, stepping out in faith does sound crazy. Doesn't it? Yeah. But Jesus would say it this way. He would say in in many instances in life... With man, these things are not possible. But with God, what did he say? All things are possible. So we learn from these men spiritual diligence. We learn from them what it means to put, uh, put feet to our faith, I say. And what a great time of year to do that, by the way. Right? But here's the thing, and we have to look out for church. Everyone is generous and compassionate until January 2nd. And then we're right back to where we were. Man, as followers of Jesus, we want to be as active in our faith and blessing others on January 25th as we are on December 25th. Amen, church?
Lord, in March, would you still find us faithful? Putting feet to our faith. Uh, Number three, we see this. For followers of Jesus, uh, these wise men are an example of a spiritual diligence, active faith. But then thirdly, they're an example of sacrificial worship. These men are an example of sacrificial worship. Now, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Now, um, uh, not again, not to ruin the primary school nativity play, but, but just to remind ourselves that, that they would have arrived on the scene probably a year to two years after Jesus was born. All right. Now, at our house, we have a nativity scene, and we still have them up there, and we're okay with that, all right? But, but the truth is, they, they, they probably arrived when Jesus was a toddler. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, the angel tells the shepherds, go find the baby. It's a very specific Greek word. And here it says, when they arrive, they find the child. It's a different Greek word. It's not the word for a baby. It's, it's, it's the word for someone, a child between the ages of one and two. Also, they don't find Jesus at a manger. Where do they find him? It's on the screen. At his house, right? They find it. Is it on the screen? No, we're getting there. They find him at a house, right? They find him at his house. Different word, all right? No, it is there. On coming to the house. Did it skip? Oh, it skipped. Oh, there we go. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, right? And bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all right? So they make it. There's Jesus. He's no longer in a a, a stable. He's in a house, and they go, and there they find him. And what is their immediate response? Now, don't miss this. And this is important, and this is beautiful in the Christmas story. These are Gentiles. So everyone in the Christmas story up till now has been Jewish, right? And and the way the Bible sees the the world, there are only two types of people, Jews and people who are not Jews, which is, I would think, is most of us, which would be Gentiles, right? And they are the first Gentiles mentioned in the Christmas story, which is brilliant. It's, 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 I think it's God's way of, of showing from the very beginning that this salvation is for everyone, right? And so these Gentiles arrive, and what is their immediate response? They bow down and they worship Jesus. And then they give, they give these gifts. And these will all be very expensive gifts that would be given to a king, right? Very expensive gifts. And so they sacrificially worship Jesus. Worship costs them something, right? It costs them something. It's not something they just simply do. It's not just a praise the Lord, what a cute kid. No, no, it's, it's like it's, it's something costly to them, all right? And so Paul would say it uh, this way in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says... For you and I about worship. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? The Apostle Paul says, for you and I, we do not bring gold. We don't bring frankincense. It's not about how much money we put in the basket, wherever the basket went to. That's not what it's about, right? But what it's about for you and I is daily giving ourselves to the Lord and saying, Lord, here am I, use me. Lord, here am I. Here's every part of me. Here's my mind. Here's my heart. Lord, fill me and use me for your glory. He says, offer your bodies 
as a living sacrifice. How holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Right? And so uh, when, when we wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, here's my mind. Today, Lord, may I think on things that honor you and are worshipful. Lord, hear my eyes. Today, might I look at things, Lord, that honor you and that worship you. Lord, hear my ears. Today, may I listen to things, Lord, that honor you and worship you. Lord, here is my heart. Here are my affections. And Lord, may I fall in love with things today that you love, Lord. Here is every part of me. Now, I'll confess, I have to pray that every morning. Because usually by about 3 o'clock, most of it's worn off. I'm like, Lord, no, 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 Lord, I, I, don't want, I don't want to think about that. Lord, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to listen to that. Lord, but I want to give all of me to you, for that is my act of worship. And can I tell you what? That's more beautiful than the most beautiful song you'll ever sing. That's more valuable than all the money and all the baskets and all the churches in the world. Right? Jesus says our sacrifice is a living sacrifice. And, and, and these, these, these men are an example of that. Their, their worship was costly. By the way, can I say we're living in a world today where I believe more and more to be identified with the name of Jesus, to believe this book, and to worship him is going to become more and more costly. More and more costly. We live in a country now where people lose their jobs for believing this book. Reading recently about a flight attendant for British Airways who was fired because she refused to quit wearing a cross. Just a small gold necklace. Sacrificial worship. Are we willing to, to, to pay an exorbitant price that Jesus might be exalted, whatever it costs us? Lastly, we see this. Uh, for followers of Jesus, uh, the wise men are an example of willing obedience. The wise men are an example of willing obedience. Uh, we see this in verse, uh, in verse 12. Uh, he says this, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Right now, let's remember, Herod is king of the Jews, but Herod was not originally Jewish. Herod had converted. He had been a Gentile. He had converted to Judaism, but... Uh, all uh, historical records would indicate that he only did it so he could become king. Uh, now, I'm glad that politicians today don't change so that they can get power. That was a thing back then, amen? Right? So he was willing to do whatever he had to do to become, become king, and he does. And so uh, uh, politicians back then uh, wanted to stay in power as long as they could, Right? And so he hears about this baby who's going to become a king, and he immediately feels threatened, right? And so what does he set out to do? Well, we know the text will continue to tell us in verse 13 that he's going to hatch a scheme, and it, it becomes really the, the first, if you will, the first holocaust of the Jewish people as all the baby boys under the age of two are killed. Terrific. Right, And we know that, that an angel comes and tells Joseph to flee to Egypt, and he does, so that Jesus is, is not murdered, along with these thousands, if not tens of thousands of other children. And so Herod does not want to worship Jesus. He, quite frankly, wants to kill Jesus, because Jesus is a threat. 
And so an angel appears to the wise men and tells them, do not go back and tell Herod where Jesus is. But instead, I want you to go back to your country and go another route. Now, that might not sound like a big, a big deal of willing obedience. But remember a couple of things. These men are foreigners in a foreign land, and they're now going to directly disobey the most powerful man in the country. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, right? They're putting their lives at stake by not going back and telling Herod where Jesus is. Uh, secondly, to go back by another route means they're going back the long way. It means it's going to be more time on horseback, more money, more time away from family and friends. Uh, they, they would have been okay, justifiable to say, you know what, actually we are going to go back and, and maybe tell Herod because we don't want to get in trouble. And also, it was a long trip, and to think of an even longer trip home, that's not great. And yet, look what it says. It says they did it. They had the dream, and they did not go back, and they returned another way. They were willingly obedient. They did what God commanded them to do. Our, our, last, uh, our last verse is this. And it's uh, 1 John chapter 2. And John writes this. And we can be sure that we know him, meaning God, if we obey his commandments. And if someone claims, I know God, but does not obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. For that is how we know we are living in him. Uh, John says it this way. The litmus test of my love for Jesus is my obedience to his word. In fact, Jesus says it this way. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, if you love me, the way I'll know you love me is not by how much you tell me you love me, not by how much money you give me, not by how much you do for me, but, but I'll know you love me because you obey my commands. You do what I ask you to do. And this is what John says here. And so John says, for you and I, willing obedience means that, that we submit to what God has revealed to you and I in this book by the Spirit. Now, this much we know, without the Holy Spirit, none of us can do it. Amen? Now, I, listen, there are some hard things in this book. You want to hear a few? You know, maybe one or two? All right. The Bible says, to uh, if someone smacks you on one cheek, offer them the other. Uh, it says, uh, bless those who curse you. I was riding down the road the other day, and, uh, and uh, a guy in a BMW went past me, and I had inadvertently kind of gotten his lane. And when he got by, he gave me some very interesting hand gestures. And I thought, Lord, bless his heart. Lord, bless him, right? BMW, bless the man willingly, or something like I was trying to work it out, right? Bless those who curse you. That's what the book says. Are you ready for this one? Pray for those who spitefully use you. People who have used you and abused you, Jesus said pray for them. There's some hard things. Jesus, you're asking me to do what? What, forgive them seven times 77? Like, uh, do you know what they did to me, Lord, and I'm supposed to forgive them? So here's the thing. 
Jesus says, but if you love me, you'll do all of it. And I say, but Jesus, I can't. And he says, I know, so I've given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, Kenny, and you have my book and you have my spirit, and that is enough. I'll do it through you. And by God's grace and in his power and through this book, we can do it. Amen, church? Uh, one of one of his elders, something we prayed about and, and really felt like one of the values the Lord wanted us to have this year, and I think we'll continue, is we want to be a church. We want to be people of the book. We want to be people who love this book and who spend time in this book and, and who, uh, by God's grace and with his help, obey it. That's who we want to be. And so as we, as we continue on the journey to Bethlehem, uh, let's reflect on these men, maybe three, we don't know. They brought three gifts, we know that much. But they were men who were diligent, they were men who were active, uh, they were men who worshipped, and they were men who were obedient to the very end. And by God's grace, may we be those people at Oikos Church. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and true. And thank you for the example of these men who, Lord, against all odds and against the culture in which they lived, set out to find you, Jesus, at all costs. Jesus, we ask that you would give us that desire. As we saw in 1 Chronicles, that we would be men and women who seek you continually. But Lord, I would be the first to say my heart is easily distracted. And so, Lord, by your spirit and through your word, would you capture our hearts anew once again? And may we be men and women who seek you diligently that we too could come and worship the child in the manger. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let's stand together.